Hello and welcome to the House of Rams podcast. We're using this format as a quick and easy way to find out what's going on at the club and hear direct from those running the show for us. We hope you enjoy this instalment. This podcast was recorded on Thursday the 4th of March 2021 while we're in lockdown and the club is shut. Today we have the joy of being joined by a permanent fixture at the club, Ian Gallantry. How are you doing, Ian? Doing very well, Paul. Thank you. You're good, and thank you very much for coming on. Yeah, it's taken six months of persuasion, but we've got you here. <laughs> I'm looking forward to it. <laughs> good, 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 good. So, Ian, you're currently a, a trustee at the club. Uh, you have been around the club for a considerable amount of time. And, uh, yeah, I have been looking forward to this uh, conversation for, for quite some time. That is an understatement, because I've met you but many, many years ago, but really had the first chat with you when we were away on tour in Newquay. And I'm, I'm sure we have plenty of that to come as we go through this conversation. Um, now, some of your uh, sort of closer friends probably have never listened to a podcast before. Have you ever listened to a podcast? Not really. I've listened to a couple <laughs> of the ones you've done recently. Oh, good. Well, we, we need to badger Ross a little bit. Did you listen to the conversation with Ross? Yeah. Good, 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 good. Because uh, I think we need to get uh, this advertised in our rampages now. So of that audience, I think uh, you'll be the second person that's uh, that's been on here. Um, so let's get a, a bit of background uh, first of all. So we were on tour in Amsterdam a few years back, and you put on a, a suit and disappeared to interview someone. And I know you're retired now, but what was your day job? Well, when we were in Amsterdam. Um, the reason I went with a suit was, um, at the time, I, I was working for, and to the end of my working career, I worked for a very large US water treatment company, and I was a VP responsible for UK, Scandinavia, and the Netherlands, and I'd go and meet, meet the country managers at least once a month, and it just so happens that the Netherlands head office was in, the, in Amsterdam. So I combined it with the rugby tour. Uh, I mean, how, probably how... passed a lot of expenses of the rugby <laughs> tour onto the trip to the office in Amsterdam. You're retired now. You could say that. So. I'm retired. Yeah. <laughs> um, now, how did you manage to do that the morning after the, the night before? I mean, I I seem, seem to remember the early hours of the uh, of the morning, hearing your voice booming out. Kerry, put that fire hose away. I mean, <laughs> no, you, you, you've got a better memory than me. I can't remember that. <laughs> Is that going to be a standard answer as we go through some of these well, stories? It could be, yeah, at my age. <laughs> uh, so, was it easy to get up after a night before and do an interview and have those sort of conversations with people? Well, it wasn't too much of a formal interview. I was just going there to meet in the office and talk about you know, whether they'd achieved some of the targets and things like that. So it wasn't too bad. Uh, well, I don't think you I'd know. ever, I don't think I could ever do that. Um, I think, uh, I think paracetamol helped. <laughs> I bet, I bet. So, so what do you take from that career um, in water uh, to your role or your roles at the rugby club? Uh, well, I guess it must have helped me with the, uh, things to do with being a trustee mm -hmm. uh, the role of a trustee is changed but it's uh, these days it's mainly an advisory position where uh, you know I would help 
ensure that decisions being taken by the club were logical and uh, particularly in relation to expenditure. Mm-hmm. And so how's that different now to, to, to a while back before? Was it, was it different then? Well, it's only different um, in so much as when I um, was first asked to be a trustee, which I didn't even know what that meant, but I took it as an honour and accepted it. I didn't realise that my house would be on the line to honour all the debts of the club. And uh, I, I since after becoming a trustee, I found that out <laughs> and, and read about it. And it said that I would be liable both um, individually and severally with other trustees to underwrite the, the uh, debts of the club. That must have given you some scary moments over the years. Yeah, it, it made me uh, drink even more than I'd been drinking before. <laughs> Was that but really, really, these days, it's what I said. I just sort of, uh, I, I go to some of the exec meetings, but I'm not a voting member of the exec, but I can, you know, put my oar in or I can support things or say I don't like things. But I really, I don't have any power in that sort of thing. Okay. The last thing I did, I helped uh, really in a couple of terminations of staff. Uh-huh. That I a- which isn't, you know, isn't fun, but somebody had to do it. So, yeah, yeah. So I got a bit of experience in that area. Uh-huh. So have you had any other roles at the club other than trustee? No, not really. I managed to avoid the exec, mm-hmm. uh, mainly because I was travelling so much in my work and... Uh, even right up, uh, right through when I was playing, I played for all the teams in the club or captained all the teams in the club down to fifths, and they used to have a fifths and sixth side. Captained them all, the yeah. And uh, I used to be, I used to be away all week mainly. I could be anywhere, mm-hmm. Middle East, Africa, places in Europe, and I, even at the end, China. Uh, where else would I have been? India. And I used to sort of fly home on a Friday, play rugby on a Saturday. On Sunday, I'd be travelling back out to wherever wherever I was going. So I couldn't have spent much time with the exec anyway, if I was inclined, if I'd been inclined to do it. And your your wife Brenda's had some roles at the club as well. Yeah, she's done more for the club than I have, really. Um, <laughs> let's think she was she was chairperson of the ladies' committee. I can't remember. It's probably the beginning of the 80s, something like that. And she uh, she helped in a, a number of ways. In those days, the WAGs, you could call them. The, yeah. the WAGs used to do all the uh, players' post-match teas. Okay. We'd never chef or anything like that. Uh, what else did they do? They used to run the barbecue wine bar because that was a big moneymaker, the barbecue. It was our main event in those uh-huh. days. She started a uh, weekly ladies' keep fit sessions. People used to have to pay to go. Um, and she also uh, started boot fairs in Harlow. We'd been away and she saw a boot fair and she said, oh, well, we can do that in Harlow. And so we did and we ran the, ran the boot fairs. I used to have to park the cars up and that sort of thing. But we organised it and made a lot of money for getting on for 10 years. So do, were those hosted? Were those, they were on the ground, weren't they? 
They're on the grounds. Yeah, we put big signs up on the road that I I painted and put up with uh, major things. People couldn't miss them off the yeah. driving along that road. Uh-huh. I've got I've got a vague re- a vague recollection of of going to one of those when I was very <laughs> young. I seem to remember there was a. Uh, uh, yeah, we had, there was a big, um, you know, like a PE climbing rope uh, was for sale in one of those. And uh, my dad bought it and it had a chain at the end of it. And we put it up in our garden and it was in our garden for about a week. And then the squirrels had chewed it to bits. And it was <laughs> <laughs> the thing. So, um, <laughs> yeah, oh dear, I'd forgotten that we did those. That's cool, blimey. Yeah. Cool. You, 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 you were going. I also did the. Uh... Christmas parties every year for the kids. Mm-hmm. So they organised Ken Spooner and, you know, dressing up and walking across the field towards the clubhouse with his Wellington boots with snow <laughs> stuck around the top and all that <laughs> stuff. So. Oh, brilliant. Brilliant. So I, I think she she uh, finished up changing her title from chair, chair lady of the ladies um, to president because she was a bit up bit uh, upset I'd become president so she thought she'd have to do it <laughs> <laughs> oh so you've been club you've been club president as well no no I'm talking okay. about I was pre- I was an oh, area what? president within ah, the uh, work. company yeah. that I work for <laughs> there we go yeah, get get one up <laughs> um, so um let's let's talk a little bit about your um rugby career you, you mentioned playing for all of the different teams in the club I mean for those that don't know what position did you play uh, I was hooker. So you're a hooker, so a front row vet- veteran now. But uh, I, I, Ross said on the podcast that you used to scare, well, because <laughs> I'm not pressing the explicit button on this, uh, <laughs> the bejesus out of, out of people and, uh, and uh, make sure that they know their place in the team. Is there any truth in this? Well, sort of. Um, I mean, when I was playing hooker, unlike in today's game, you actually used to hook for the ball. And so, you know, I took it as my personal responsibility to always uh, always get get our own put in anyway, at least. Uh-huh. And, uh, yeah, if I lost a ball, I got a bit upset. Usually the following scrum, I'd, uh, as, we, as we got up, I'd, uh, you know, give the, uh, give the other hooker a tap on the chin. <laughs> and I'd also, I, I'd also warn the... I also warned the props that you know it might kick off just so that they would they would be prepared. <laughs> They'd hang I on remember, and run off. <laughs> I, I remember Dave Taylor, who I don't know if you remember Dave Taylor, but he he played uh, he played uh, prop for the club for a long time. Uh, he helped design Harlow. He was one of that group of people who had built the new town. He's got a name uh, name after him in the development that's now on the old rugby site. Okay. Hmm. So anyway, I and play with Dave for quite a time, and every time I warned him, I said, "Yeah, I'll, I'll have to do something about this on the next scrum." He always used to sort of his his head would sag, and he said, "Do we really have to do this?" Ian? And, he, and he used <laughs> to say it every time, you know. Bless his heart. <laughs> So, yeah. do, do you miss playing? Oh yeah, I do. Yeah, I found I found it I found it difficult to go and watch for a couple of years. I think I could relate to that. 
uh, that is that the, after I finished playing, to watch it horrible. Uh, <laughs> I've actually done some presentations at work on it, uh, uh, sort of the getting used to a big adjustment in your life because it, it, you, you do you retire, big punk, big chunk of your life goes, doesn't it? And, oh uh, yeah, it's not easily replaced if if ever. So, um, so so what what did you what do you did you love about rugby? What are the, what, what are the things that you've really connected? Um, well, I sort of obviously enjoyed it. I I uh, I like the camaraderie really, and with the other idiots I was playing with really, <laughs> especially in the vets, we used to have a great time. You know, a few pints before the game, a few more afterwards. Uh, yeah, it was uh, so. I, I enjoyed that part of it for sure. Yeah, it's a what what uh, what. The beer yeah. as well. I enjoyed the beer. <laughs> well, I noticed you've got one on the go at the moment. I'm, I'm feeling I've let you down by just having a glass of water on while we're talking today. But um, so what what brought you to Harlow? Were you, were, I'm um, assuming that you didn't you didn't grow up in the area. No, I came to. I worked for a company called MSD, the pharmaceutical outfit in in Hoddesdon, and uh, I came up in. The end of 69, was it? Yeah, end of 69. And I tried to find a rugby club then. I was working in Ho- in Hoddesdon, so I went to Hartford. I told them, oh, I, you know, what I'd done, who I'd play for, things like that. And they said, oh, well, they'd be very pleased for me to come and play for them, but I wouldn't be able to play in the first team because I wasn't an old boy of Hartford grammar. Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, so as a result of that, I thought I was a bit of a snotty crowd. I won't bother with that. And there was a guy who worked, uh, who I worked with at, at MSD in Hoddesdon. And he said, well, why don't you go to Harlow? And so I don't know how I found out, but I found out when they were having, uh, would have been at the end of August, I think, that we used to always have trials where people would come up and they'd pick a first and second team and try playing them against each other. So I just came up. That was the first time I'd come to the club. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then uh, John Minchin came the same time, but he'd been down in the summer training. So, yeah, and uh, that's how I came to Harlow. And uh, during the trials, games, the second team always beat the first team in this set of <laughs> set of trial games. Yeah. So the first match of the season, Colin Jenkins was captain. The first game of the season, I was... I was second team hooker, but every game after that, I was I was in, I was first team hooker after that. So oh, there we and go. The, and the following season, after uh, that seventy one seventy two season, I was the club captain then. So I settled in quite quickly into the club. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So you, um, uh, you you kind of mentioned that you played in a few different clubs then. Where where else had you played and? Um, well, um, I went to school, went to a grammar school in Kent and, uh, I was, uh, rugby, rugby 15 captain. We, in those days, we used to have a fixture every year against the local men's team and that was Stanick Wanderers and I went and played, played against Stanick Wanderers and, uh, then they asked me, would I like to go and play for them, even when I was still at school? Uh-huh. So I uh, 
I was very happy with it. Got it, got on well with all the guys. Enjoyed the the crack and the beer and the rest of it, even though I was still at school. Mm-hmm. And I started playing for Thanet Wonders. And while I was still at school, I was the first team hooker for hooker for Thanet. Uh, the problem I had, I was uh, I was also in the school hockey team, and we played an autumn. Autumn was rugby. The autumn term was rugby and the spring term was hockey. And mm-hmm. so, of course, I was wanting to play rugby for Thanet. And so I couldn't play for the school hockey team. And I had to find excuses, which was OK. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, until uh, some idiot put a report in the newspaper about the Thanet Wonders match that weekend. And he <laughs> gave me a mention. So then the school found out. Yeah. So then, a couple of teachers who were playing for the <laughs> playing for Thanet Wonders first team, who were teachers at the school, they got into trouble as well. <laughs> so there's me and them that got into trouble, but it it didn't really matter because the guy who took my position in in the hockey team, a guy called Ian McGinn, he uh, he went on to to play for Southgate in England and captain both. Oh really? Well, so I'm sure they didn't miss me playing for them. Now, because we that was the first team that I played for. Then it wanders. I played for them for a couple of years. Yeah. When because uh, we used to play yeah. them in the first team not so long ago. Yeah, um, they were in uh, London One. Yeah. At the same time as we were, so uh, they came up. Uh, I hosted the dinner that day, and uh, we went down when we played them down there. I think they they beat us down there that time but we were very very similar and we're probably similar similar these days <laughs> yeah i mean i remember in, in one of the games down there matt howard was for whatever reason taking our conversions that day and uh, <laughs> uh he uh, no it wasn't a conversion it was a penalty and he uh, it was right in front and that was he was terrible right in front and he hit the post and everyone was laughing that he'd missed this this then he, and it came straight back into his hands and then he ran and scored a try and he was getting up and giving it all the all this <laughs> stick to everybody else. Uh, yeah, I've got fond, fond memories of that, probably because it's it's quite a journey. It's not the quickest journey back from there. No, is it? So, no. No, it's a good thing. So, so, sorry, where, where else have you uh, uh, where else have you played? Well, I, I moved up and hung around London for a couple of years, 67 and 68. In 67, I played for Stradham and Croydon, and they were a pretty good side. I think mm. I joined their ninth team. They ran 12. My word, that's a big And I gradually up. went up to the to the uh, seconds, and I was late getting to the game. Not I was there in time, but I missed the team talk and that sort of thing. And I just went up team by team. And the guy who was an old boy captain in uh, Stradham and Croydon, second team, um, he had a real go at me, which wound me up a bit. And I had a, had a really good game. And afterwards, um, he, he said to, he said to me, uh, "Well, you didn't turn up on time, so I wouldn't pick you again. But I'll but I'll uh, I'll probably recommend you for the first thing." <laughs> <laughs> I was a bit pissed off and that sort of thing. And I was happy to move anyway. So that was the last game I played for him. I just played as I went up. <laughs> and then that sort of then then you moved to Hoddesdon and no, no then I uh, I went bored and bummed around in Spain for for the summer. Uh-huh. When I came back in the place where uh, we were saying we had an apartment 
down near um, Marble Arch. The guy who was there, he uh, he was playing for London Irish, one of the teams. And originally, I, I went along uh, with my kit to a pub, uh, a bunch of grapes on Brompton Road, I think it was. And there, you just went along with your kit. Mm-hmm. And they'd pick a team for London Irish Sunday team. So I played for them for two or three times. And then I went and played for, I think I went in at their sixth team, they had 12. And I moved up similarly there, I went up match by match. But then uh, I got into the third team and then uh, and then I was moving then. So I, uh-huh. so I didn't stay. I probably could have got, got further in both those clubs. But I liked, you- it, I liked it in uh, London Irish. So it was a good crack all the time. And when I was there, they just opened a brand new clubhouse at Sunbury where they were. And uh, after the game, no, but people went in the new clubhouse, had their shower and all that sort of thing. Then they ignored the bar totally and walked back to this old barn that was, you know, <laughs> stinking because it was all wet and rotten. Yeah. And, wet. and uh, they made a point of all that season. They went back into that old bar and that's where they drank. They wouldn't start drinking in the new club. Still <laughs> Irish. Yeah. How oh, very very odd. Now, uh, we really, I, I what I really wanted to talk to you about is some of the tours that you've been on because um, I, I was putting this together. And you're somewhat of an expert tourist. You've you've done it a few times now. Um, so, is there? Well, do you know how many tours you've been on? No, <laughs> Not I can't clue. remember them all. <laughs> So, do you have uh, do you have any that stand out, and uh, or, or rather, where should we start? I have two or three that stand out. Probably the most memorable one, and the one that I don't know a bit for my uh, age group sort of thing. I became memorable for was the trip we had to Amsterdam, the first one. Um. It's a bit of a long story, really. It's it's the one tour I know what year it was. It was 1982, because England was currently at war in the Falklands with Argentina. Okay. So that's why I knew, because that was going on the same time as we were we were on tour there. We met in a coach at the old club, of course, and uh, went to Felixstowe, caught an overnight ferry to Rotterdam. Um, the ferry was crowded. It was uh, a bit like a party party night there. Mm-hmm. Was, uh, yeah. Everybody's drinking. The place was pretty packed. They had, uh, among the other people on, there was a girls' hockey team there, which, uh, you know, livened the place up a bit. And, <laughs> and what else, whatever going on. About three, three o'clock in the morning, three to four, everybody's had enough and, you know, people are just slip, trying to sleep all over the boat and everything. And I I had a problem, I just couldn't get settled. So I went and shut myself in a gent's toilet there and just went to sleep sitting on the pan. Had quite a good kip, I think. I woke up fine. Sounds comfy. Yeah. <laughs> and I, so I went to find everybody and there wasn't a soul on the boat. The boat had docked and everybody had left. And it was truly like the Mary Celeste. Were you still in Rotterdam at the time? I'm still in Rotterdam. I'm on the oh, boat. On the boat, yeah, okay. 
so, uh, so the first thing I thought about, I thought, well, fine mates they are, you know, they, they've, <laughs> they've either left me on the boat knowingly or they think, oh, he's fallen overboard, so we might as well get on with the tour. <laughs> Either the second way. second thing yeah. I thought about was, where the hell's my kit? <laughs> so I then spent a good 20 minutes climbing all, going all over the ship, trying to find, find my uh, kit bag. I did find it in the end. It was uh, back underneath a fucking a settee, or one of the settees in, in the bar area. I should have looked there first, really. <laughs> So I found my kit, uh, <laughs> way off the boat, and very luckily there was a station there, a railway station with a train sitting in it. So I, uh, I got on the train, couldn't see a soul on there, and I just started walking down the, the length of the train, and I came to a carriage where there was three people sitting there. There was an American couple and their daughter. She was quite good looking. <laughs> And I asked them if, if, if this train was going to going to Amsterdam. Well, I think all the trains went from Rotterdam yeah. to Amsterdam. So, so they said, yeah, oh, yeah. And uh, they said, why don't you join us? So I had a very convivial, chatty trip down. Took about 45 minutes, I think, something like that, on the train. I got out at uh, Amsterdam Central. Um, and then I realised I didn't, didn't know the name of the hotel we were staying in. So that made it difficult. So I, I, I went outside and had a chat with a, with a cabbie there, because all the Dutch speak perfect English. Yeah. So it's mm-hmm. not an issue. I said, where, uh, you know, I'm a rugby club, and uh, where would a rugby club stay? And he said, oh, I think I know the place. I'll, show, I'll, I'll just show you the way. I said, oh, no, don't show me, show me the way. You take me there, because otherwise yeah. I'm bound to get get lost so we got in there about 200 yards away parked up <laughs> he's playing outside the hans brinker hotel oh that rings a bell where we stayed when yeah. we went again yeah it was much better the second time we went there when, when we went there at this sign said hans brinker hotel and i saw that i'm sure they spelt hotel wrong because it should have been h-o-v-l hovel you say that and i remember going there years later and thinking the same thing so you're saying it was better then I'm like, Blimey, there we go sorry go on carry on <laughs> so yeah he parked in front of the hotel and bang banging next to a coach mm-hmm. and all our lot started getting off the coach so i arrived at the hotel exactly the same time as the rest of the uh the rest of the, rest of the guys so yeah <laughs> and they didn't know you were missing or <laughs> no, no. recollection <laughs> you know, oh. they, they didn't care they were just happy to get there i think <laughs> yeah. i was yeah. pissed off with them but that was it yeah no worries um well that what was that the hands brinkle it was uh the bedrooms we stayed in there was a couple of the older guys from the club I, I don't can't remember who they were exactly. Probably Ron Bracewell was there. He was. But the rooms we had, they were uh, two two bedrooms. They each had four sets of bunk beds in them, mm-hmm. and they were three or four beds high. <laughs> so you, I think you could get you know sixteen or a dozen people in these rooms. Yeah. And so we had a couple of those rooms. Each room had only one toilet, one shower, and, and one sink. Yep. 
and uh, that was it. That's what we were staying in. So it was a bloody hobble, the whole thing. <laughs> and you took us back there <laughs> years later. Well, we just turned up. Yeah, it was organised yeah. by who organised those trips then. Um, oh. it, it sort of Mick, twenty years. Mick Carlin. Yeah. Mick Carlin. Yeah. Mick Carlin. He, yeah. he organised it. Yeah. So we organised it to get back in the same hotel. I thought, oh God, help us. <laughs> anyway, so, that, the, yeah. the first uh, the first evening we were there, we were almost met by the uh, by the team we were playing. It was the Amsterdam, I think they were called Amsterdam Athletic Sports Club. They didn't really play rugby, I don't think. But anyway, they were, uh, they, they, we went and played at their place. Alan Knightley was team captain. Uh-huh. Old Alan Knightley. For, for some of our yeah, listeners yeah, might know the young, younger version. Not, yeah. not young Alan, no. Old Alan Knightley. And uh, he didn't want to give the, give the team, team pre-match talk so he got me to do it mm-hmm. and it was a stupid thing it was at the time when the uh uh dutch green greenhouses and everything were producing tomatoes and and uh, cucumbers much cheaper than we could, than our market gardening companies could produce it and there was quite a bit of it on the television at the time uh-huh. So I, uh, I I based my talk around a dispute with the Dutch over market <laughs> gardening and how they, you know, they deserved the thrashing and the beating they, they were going to get from us on that day. Well, my team, team talk didn't do but work very well because we, I, I think we lost. I think only slightly we lost. <laughs> so the Dutch guys, they, they were real gents. So mm-hmm. They had a great time in their clubhouse afterwards. Um, drinking and singing and everything, and they they were very good. Uh-huh. After that, we got on a coach to go back to the hotel and the uh, red light area. You know, the hotel's right near the red mm-hmm. light area. And the coach to go back. And on the way back, I remember the uh, Dutch um, driver, he announced that the Argentinian uh, light cruiser, the Admiral Belgrano, had been sunk with 300 men missing or something like that. And the whole coach erupted into cheering, <laughs> cheering and everything, which all seemed very right at the time. I think thinking back, it wasn't wasn't quite the thing to do with so many people getting killed. But anyway, yeah. Yeah. That, that's what happened. And that that sort of started started off, off us as a sort of a task force operating in uh, in um, Amsterdam. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, um, so, so that's Amsterdam in '82. Yeah. Uh, so, so we've we've got to sort of start our way through that timeline. Is there anything, any other tours that come to mind? As, um, oh, well, uh, in in the one in uh, that first one in Amsterdam, I mean, you're running riot in the in the hotel at night. They had a they had a manager there, great beast of a man. He was a monster, and he he was would be chasing our our team all around the hotel. You know, we were doing light damage to the hotel at the time. Uh, you have to understand that at the hands brinker, any damage he did was an improvement. <laughs> so so it wasn't a, it wasn't a problem, but he he, uh, he knew where we were and kept turning up, very annoyed. Um, and then we clocked it. It was because. 
because he had uh, CCTV around the place. Uh-huh. So then, then we were going around squirting shaving foam over all the cameras. <laughs> <laughs> then we negated, we negated his threat after that. But yeah, and we finished up saying it was uh, on the Falklands. It, the guy leading our task force that was sent out there was a guy called Sandy Sandy Woodward. So we we had the Dutch arm operating. I was Sandy. I was Admiral Sandy Gallantry in charge in charge <laughs> of the Amsterdam task force. <laughs> yeah, and things went from bad to worse. Anyway, so we we had a following day. We had a a brewery trip round the Heineken Brewery, mm-hmm. which took about half an hour, and then we had two hours in their big uh, beer hall. Mm-hmm. And they just we were singing, and they just kept bringing beer to us and. We were let loose in the streets of Amsterdam <laughs> at about half past two in the afternoon, where things went from bad to worse, really. But we should close it on that. I think. <laughs> so, uh, and any other tours that are coming to mind now? Uh, I think one that one that I really liked was we had a trip to Ross on Wye in uh, Herefordshire. I don't know when that was. I can't remember. It was a long time after uh, the first Amsterdam trip. And there we stayed in a hotel which was owned by a by a woman and her husband. And the woman had gone to school with one of our players, one of the old, older guys who were on the trip. You'll you'll notice that I'm not mentioning any names. <laughs> and that, that's to protect the guilty, really. <laughs> Yeah. And, uh, yeah, she she recognised she recognised this guy and her lot that been to school together, and she was really delighted to meet him. Anyway, after after causing some, I think we had a game on the way there. Would we have would we have played the Forrester Dean? Might have been on on the way there, travelling there. Uh-huh. I can remember a game at the Forrester Dean. Anyway, when there was it was coming for the kickoff. And none of their players had appeared. Then they all started walking out of the woods, all, uh, all dressed ready, straight onto the pitch. That's that got to be freaky. Though. It was. It was a, a nasty. They weren't friendly. It was a massive battle. Yeah. Anyway, I think we finished up back at the hotel and in a pub in Ross. Um, we had a bit of trouble there, but it wasn't too bad. We went back to this. Uh, Little hotel who had a nice uh, bar and nice lounge area, and they laid on some uh, entertainment for us. The husbands playing the piano, you know, and mm-hmm. we were uh, we were uh, singing and everything else. So it was quite convivial. It was it was obvious though that the guy playing the piano, her husband, he had he was wearing a wig. Mm-hmm. And the inevitable happened that after after an hour, somebody pinched his <laughs> wig, and he took it quite well. He didn't. He carried on playing the piano. He wasn't <laughs> too upset about it. Or he carried on. And then about half an hour, uh, a port, portly uh, a portly gentleman on, on our tour. Um, yeah, I'd, I'd say he was a prop. He, he he entered the lounge completely naked. <laughs> It, except for the wig, which he was using to hide his vital parts. 
was a huge amount of laughter and everything going on. And when it settled down, it was funny the way it just went quiet. And this portly gentleman went over and just went and sat sat on a settee or a seat down there. <laughs> and the pianist carried on playing the piano. <laughs> It was unreal, really, but it was uh, it was very enjoyable. <laughs> yeah, this place had had a uh, the all the old boys always stayed in the best rooms, but where the players stayed, they had this they had a set of six bedrooms. They were all in a row, and they had a corridor down one side. It was a sort of add-on to it, very dilapidated and everything. We had about three people in each room. We found out that if you, if you leant against the wall, wall beside one of the other bedrooms, the wall would just fall through. So in the end, <laughs> you could walk right through the, the six bedrooms without needing the needing the corridor. <laughs> so so anyway, we told told the landlady there'd been a bit of bit of damage in the. Uh, in this sort of annex area. <laughs> I mean, she knew it wasn't much good anyway. So <laughs> her ex-boyfriend who was in our team took her, took her round so just to show her the damage. So we knew when they were coming round. And so we, we were moving all the furniture out. So <laughs> the, the wardrobes would be in front of the walkway, as it, as it were. Yeah. Oh so she came round, she had, she had a look. And, and she sort of, <laughs> she inspected it and she said, oh, well, I think 200 quid to cover it. Well, I couldn't, couldn't pay her fast enough. <laughs> I've got this picture in my mind of some sort of healing comedy. <laughs> People moving, moving around all of these pieces of furniture going, oh, 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 and just having this <laughs> sort of when, hot when we, left, when, we, when we departed the hotel, we started... A, we stopped at a pub about it's only about half an hour down the road people were thirsty we'd had breakfast and you know people were you thirsty get, after you half get an thirsty hour. yeah indeed half an hour's a long time so we're we're just going in the uh in the pub and then a police car steams up steams up behind us i i, I wasn't actually there i'd already got got inside the pub but they come up accusing us of of stealing somebody's big swan, a big sort of, I think it was a big plastic, huge swan that they found outside some pub. So, you know, a couple of the young boys said, no, no, it's not us, we don't know anything about it. So they opened the boot through with the coach. <laughs> of course, there's this really great swan, which they, they, carted, they carted off. I don't think it would fit in the boot of their police car. That was sort of wiggle it round onto the back seat. And they just, they very kindly took it back for us. <laughs> very kindly took it back. Yeah. <laughs> Search and recover. There we go. <laughs> and, and immediately after, after that happened, just to elaborate a bit more on the trip, there was, uh, yeah, there was a couple came in, again with a very nice daughter. And... Uh, they sat down behind where we were and we carried on. And one of our younger, younger members of the uh, of our tour, he, he walked past, he walked past her with two pints of beer in his hand. 
and, and he stopped. So he, he said something. She smiled at him anyway, and he asked her, could, could she get his keys out of his pocket? So she stuck her hand in his pocket to get the keys out. <laughs> then she screamed and pulled her hand out very quickly. But of course, he'd, uh, he'd got a hole in his pocket that he pulled his old man through. <laughs> no. So oh, she's no. put her hand, hand in his pocket, pulled it out quick. But she wasn't, she wasn't too upset because about it was only a quarter of an hour later. They were standing in a corner right, right out of the way, you know, snogging. <laughs> whether she had, a, had her hand back in his pocket or not. <laughs> this is all, all things that happened on, you know, a trip to Ross. <laughs> oh, dear, oh, dear. Right, now, now, I wonder where we're going next. Where, you've got something else written. I can see the notes that you've got written down there. So where, uh, where, are, we, where are we? Well, just, just really mention a couple of other trips very quickly. We had a, we had a trip to Tilly in Scotland. Um, we actually played, I think it was Stirling we played. But anyway, we stayed in this village called Tilly And all the locals turned... Turn, turned out in the street to fight the English. It wasn't a friendly place at all. So while there were running battles going on in the main street, I, I got head-butted by some old age pensioner who looked like Rabsy Ned Nesbitt in the pub. And that that was a complete wipeout of that, that trip. We were fighting with the locals all the time. Then another one was... Uh, Paris. Did you go to Paris? Two thousand. No, you didn't. You didn't no, I, I no, I didn't go to Paris at all. Uh, um, no, that was that was one I missed. I can't remember why I missed that one, but all, all, all the guys, as you as you know, were dressed in togas and carrying toilet brushes, and some had water pistols, powerful water rifles, super soaker type things. Yeah, those things. Yeah. Well, my my son George went as. Uh, as interpreter, he's fluent speaking French, so uh -huh. he spent most of his time negotiating prices with the ladies of the night in, in the blood <laughs> of the morning. And on the journey back, they, the coach stopped at a, a service station where Paul Scott was tasked with ensuring everybody got back on the coach. But he did a good job. Everybody got back on the coach and left it, except for this tall 18-stone black man in the coat <laughs> With a toilet brush, he couldn't speak Spanish standing alone in the car park. <laughs> luckily, luckily, he had his uh, he had his phone, and either George had his number or he, he met, contacted somebody in the bus. So George phoned him, and George George uh, talked to a, a cabbie that he found that was in the car park, uh -huh. telling him where to take him. Well, it was something like 150 miles. <laughs> in a cab up to uh, Calais or wherever they were going from. But anyway, <laughs> that's what they had to do. So uh, off he went. And this guy, George, George had a bit of a bit of bother persuading the cabbie to let, <laughs> let, to let Scott into the cut, into the cut, into his cab. Because yeah, he just had a sheet on. Yeah. <laughs> that was, it. <laughs> well, that was, uh, that was uh, funny. I wasn't there. In, in fact, I flew out. I wasn't going on a coach all that way. <laughs> so I flew out. Well, actually, I was, I was uh, negotiating my termination uh, 
conditions with the with the company. The company that I'd worked for had been bought by a huge uh, French outfit, Vivendi. You probably heard of them. And Veolia, to collect all the rubbish around Harlow, yeah. and uh, yeah, they bought this American company that I that uh, I, I was an area president in, and I stayed with the company afterwards for a couple of years, looking after the Middle East and Africa. But uh, I I couldn't get on with them. Well, I didn't like them. I don't think they liked me. I pretended I couldn't speak any French, but I could, so I was listening to everything they're saying all the time. Uh-huh. So after I, I stayed with a couple of years, which was uh, conditions of the uh, acquisitions that they made of us, and uh, and then I went in and was negotiating. I, I flew out and negotiated the uh, my package, which I did all right. So I was uh, I had a good tour after that. And luckily, <laughs> I could fly home afterwards rather than go on the coach. So this, this this you doing a bit of work while you're on a rugby tour is a <laughs> it's a bit of a common theme. <laughs> well, no, I think that was the only two times. That happened. <laughs> oh, right. <laughs> we had that Amsterdam, the second trip, which I couldn't believe it when we were booked into the Hans Brinker Hotel yeah. yet again. I remember once we were out we were in the red light area, and uh, we were we were having uh, sambuca shots. Mm-hmm. And we're, we're sitting around this table outside this bar and Dwayne Bishop, he came out with his tray of Sambucas all alike. He tripped up and tipped his old tray over the table <laughs> like a, and the whole thing went up in a mass of flames. And I can't remember exactly what happened then, but I think, think the table got thrown in the canal <laughs> the well, I, to I, put I, it out. <laughs> See, you, I think, uh, you were at that one, weren't you? I, I was at that one, and um, that was one of, one of the games we played. Um, uh, Simon Van Beck ran into the fence at the end of the pitch and uh, uh, in, in the game. And, and the reason I remember that, because I think that, that table accident had just happened, and Simon Van Beck's fine for uh, running into, off the pitch and into the fence at the end of the, the, the pitch instead of scoring a try, was whenever there was some sort of call or whatever, he had yeah. to run as fast as he could into a garage door or a, or a wall <laughs> or something right. like that. And he ran into this garage door just to the side of that pub, and it, the, the door sort of fl- flung him back. <laughs> <laughs> just fall back and he went he went flying so i i, I think we were we we'd come around the corner and, and then it was like why is there a table just got in there you have just missed this place catching fire and stuff like that oh dear that was funny <laughs> oh dear oh dear what other trips to be we had a trip to you must have gone in a one to ireland did you to cork i didn't go I, I didn't go to cork um i went to sligo um sligo was my first senior tour did you go to Sligo? I think I did. It was a black stuff tour um, yeah, in, yeah. in Sligo, and uh, yeah, it, it, nowhere was open over Easter. It was, it was, but yeah, if you not if you knock three times, time. times and ask nicely, they let you I've in. Been to Sligo, and I can't remember going there on business. So I think I think yeah. I must have been there, but I can't remember anything about yeah. it. We had one to Cork, which was quite a nice tour. Thing I remember, we were playing playing a game against somebody. And uh, Perry, uh, Carrie Palmer got injured, and he was saying he was really bad, and he's 
nearly crying and everything and he wants an ambulance and all that sort of thing so we called the ambulance got called because he's he's getting hysterical uh, <laughs> he's getting hysterical probably, it's probably because he's got a girl's name I've got to get that in there there we go <laughs> <laughs> yeah and uh, so the ambulance turns up and we didn't know but the ambulance wouldn't take him until we paid for the ambulance you have to pay for an ambulance mm-hmm. over in the public so uh so anyway i paid for the ambulance because i couldn't stand carry there whining <laughs> got, got him out of it i didn't know he got injured he, uh, did, yeah. you, did, you, did you remember what he did or anything like that yeah i think he stubbed his toe or something <laughs> you were just happy to pay for him to be somewhere else yeah, well, you can you can ask him when you see him. I will do. I I, I texted him earlier tonight today, so I will uh, certainly text him again. And then uh, yeah, then there was a trip to Newquay where we all went as pirates and everything. <laughs> but you remember that better than I do, so you can you can. <laughs> well, I mean, we can talk about that. As I said at the top at the top of the sort of discussion, it was the first time I'd sat down with you and had a, a sort of proper. Uh, sort of chat and I think it's me you Mike Ryland and, and Kerry as it goes uh, yeah. and uh, uh, we, we the, on the day one we got down there very early in the morning and uh, none of the pubs were shut we flew we flew down and uh, so we were walking around in Newquay uh, High Street the the Weatherspoons didn't open till 10 so we, we were there really early and I remember uh, Richard Orbar walking into a travel agent and just dre- completely dressed as a pirate going I need a ship I need a ship now. <laughs> and and, uh, and uh, we were just falling about laughing and it's still not even the pub. Well, it's not even 10 a.m. on the first day. Uh, and Steve, uh, yeah, Lakin was, Steve Lakin was there and he was dressed as a full, fully grown parrot. And so we all had to carry him around on our shoulders and, and stuff like that. But the bit, I remember about you is we'd, we'd been chatting and we must have walked into the airport on the way home and um, we walked up to the bar and, and uh, the, some of the boys had gone in before us and as those boys had gone in, gone in they'd caused a little bit of a commotion but we were slightly delayed going in for, for whatever mm. reason we walked up to the bar and uh, the, the woman behind the bar just said are you with those rugby lot and we were, oh no 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 we're not with that rugby lot and you're fancy dress outfit was a hand puppet parrot and your hand puppet parrot came up and said oh yes you are <laughs> <laughs> and you 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 then went looked at him and go will you shut up you snitch <laughs> started to have this full-on argument with your hand <laughs> in front of front of this room I, i'm on the floor falling around laughing by, at, at this point and uh, you're still arguing, and the woman behind the bar, you, your, your hand was going, "Don't serve them." There with the rugby, rugby lot. <laughs> Stop it! Shut up! And you were holding your hand to shut your own hand up. And I, I, I was, I just couldn't control myself laughing to her. And then after all that, she didn't serve us. I don't know how she couldn't have served us. I, I, no, no idea. No, she didn't. We, we all went down the pub, just down the down the road from the airport. That's right. Yeah, and uh, uh, and I think it was either you or. Mike paid the taxi driver that took us down to the pub there to go and sit in the airport and wait for our flight to be called. And so he was sitting there. <laughs> so we were just in the pub and we were delayed for, I don't know, six hours or something. Something it was something we, ridiculous. Were, we were in that pub down the hill for quite a time. Yeah. <laughs> we had we we had 
no, well, to, to, to stay there. I remember getting home very, very late that night. It was, uh, uh, yeah, and Steve Lakin then, uh, when we landed at Stansted, he was on the uh, um, conveyor belt as all the suitcases were coming out and got in all sorts of trouble. Uh, the the uh, security at Stansted really didn't like that. That was, uh, yeah, it was a, a very, very entertaining tour, that one. <laughs> yeah, a lot of good, a lot of fun, a lot of fun. So, um, have you got another one? Is there another? No, that's, that, that, that's, that's, that's enough for now. We'll have to that's save enough. some for uh, another day. Um, so, I mean, uh, Ed, you've been at the club for uh, an enormous amount of time and uh, contributed an awful lot. What, what are the things that you think about that make you sort of proud to be a, a member of Harlow? Oh, I guess one thing is obviously the new facilities we're, we're now compared to you know what what we started started off on mm-hmm. uh, club was formed in 1955 I joined in 1970 after 15 years yeah but now we've got you know uh, a fabulous facility that uh, especially compared to what our old rugby club was like and really compared to any any rugby teams we play in our area mm-hmm. And I'd say another thing that I'm, I'm very proud of the club for, and that doesn't just apply to since we've come to the new one, is really what we do for minis and youth rugby. And I know you you yourself, Paul, are instrumental mm. in that. So super well done to you. Yeah, that, a bit of that's, that's, bri- yeah. that's brilliant, that is, mm. what, what you do for that. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of, pe- lot of people involved. That, that is... Uh, our coaching community is growing and growing and growing and uh, lots of people involved now. It's, it's it's so very different to, well, right away from minis up. And when I started, there weren't any minis and now we've got yeah. bulging at the state seam sort of thing. So it's, it's really good. So um, I'm tempted just before we sort of say, I say thank you. Is there anything else you want to share with us so that we can make sure this is the, 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 the most listened to podcast ever? Yeah. Anything else no, on your mind? I've, so. I've, I've, I've haven't left anything out. No, well, I think anything. If I was to say anything else, I'd. Uh, they're all worse than I've already said. So <laughs> I'm not sure whether you're going to print everything anyway, or, <laughs> yeah. or rather report everything. Oh, I, th- I, I think we're. I think we're fine with what we covered, and I think the, the other stories <laughs> are for people to, to to buy you a pint uh, or a bottle <laughs> of port or a glass of wine or whatever it is, anything, and then get you talking on the uh, at the club one day when we we open up again. So, uh, what are you looking forward to here? Let's finish on that. Uh, well, I'm looking forward to obviously watching watching the first team again because we have we have a really good first team and we were unlucky with what happened with covid coming along and whatever but i i enjoyed watching that team and i hope they're they're all there uh-huh. when we can start up again which hopefully will be this next season anyway yeah uh and i'm looking forward to the vp's lunches again uh-huh. with all the old boys we have a we have a good time we spend a lot of money and uh keeps us off the streets somewhere warm <laughs> there we go on that note Ian, thank you very much for everything you've done for the club thank you very much for for sharing so much with us today and uh, entertaining me for certainly for the past hour uh, and i'm sure many others as they, they they tune in so thank you very much and uh, take care cheers
Thank you for listening to the House of Rams podcast. We hope you've enjoyed it and found it interesting. We'd love to hear your feedback, so please get in touch through Facebook or email me directly with your thoughts. If you'd like to appear on one of our podcasts or showcase what you're doing at the club, please email me on paulowenynan at gmail.com or contact me through Facebook. Watch out for our next release and thanks for listening.